Hello, Looted You Guy listeners. This is your host, Jesse Weiler, and we have another great episode for you. We are finishing our two-part series on the rite of exorcism. So this is part two, a continuation of our conversation last week. Also, this is the last week to register for our Young Adult Liturgy Conference. Registration ends June 1st, so if you plan on coming, you got to register now. Otherwise, you will not be able to in time. So without further ado, episode 39 of season two of The Liturgy Guys. Enjoy. I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. The Liturgical Institute is proud to present The Liturgy Guys. And we are back. The Liturgy Guys, better than ever. Better than ever. Chris. Chris. Yeah. Last week, we talked about, a little bit about, the rite of exorcism. Yeah, a little bit about, and uh, as I made this caveat last time, all of this, for me at least, is very secondhand knowledge. Uh, we've been uh, blessed to have uh, someone who studied this uh, very closely, uh, Father Grob from the Archdiocese, present at the Liturgical Lucian. He's working on a book with Helen Brand Books with our own Kevin. On, I'm guessing. On exorcism. On exorcism. So okay. when that oh, book comes out, you can, Great. you can read it. Yeah. Or you can read about uh, an interview that we did with Father Grob in the Adoramus Bulletin in the January 2018 uh, issue. It's available online. I can, and in fact, I can post it in the show notes too. Great, so, great. Yeah, yeah in fact, if, if this is something that uh, is of interest to you, again, I'm, I'm trying to uh, remember and represent as accurately as possible what the expert says because I don't have any firsthand knowledge. And so if you were to go to uh, autoramus.org to the January ed- issue, you can, you can read Father Grob's very own words. And that, that something I'd recommend. And I think something to keep in mind is people often have two extreme reactions to the whole question of demons or exorcism. One is, oh my gosh, demons, scary, ah, they're all to get me, blah, blah, blah. They, that they, is the camp I am in. <laughs> right, because they've seen the exorcist or the exorcism of Emily Rose or something like that. And so they see the extreme example and think that's the norm. Or they're it's like, oh, demons don't exist. That's just made up medieval, you know, folder all. And so there's no, nothing to do with that. But I think the, the healthy Catholic approach is, sure, there's a spiritual realm. There are angels who are out to help us. There are demons who want to keep us from God. And normal practice of prayer and spiritual hygiene, chances are you're not going to need an exorcism in your life. Mm-hmm. The people who do often are the ones who open the door and allow demons to come in through occult practice or some kind of deals they make with the devil or something like that. And you say yes to them, and then, of course, they're going to show up. Uh, and then there's an extreme kind of response need to those extreme cases, and that would be right of exorcism. Yeah, Father uh, Grab would explain it this way, that everybody who's baptized is subject to temptation. That's not unique to a certain group. And, and everybody who is not baptized is also subject <laughs> yeah, I to temptation. Guess, I guess that's true, isn't so it? So yeah. everybody. Okay, so that's common to, to everybody. But then, you know, as Dennis is, uh, you know, saying, you open a door or a window for things, you invite uh, an evil into, into your life, then that, you know, what, what Father would say is, you know, it's just like fostering our relationship with God, or I suppose with your spouse or your friends or your kids. There are certain things that you do that, that, that strengthen that relationship. Well, there's a relationship that um, 
we can enter with the evil one or, or, or with the devils that can make that relationship strong and active mm-hmm. and it can have an effect on us. And that's what opening these doors or windows through, you know, occult practices or whatever it might be. And and often goes can, together with healing. You'll hear about healing and deliverance or healing and exorcism. Yeah. And so as it's been taught to me, you know, if you have a wound and it's, it gets infected with some kind of bacteria, you, that bacteria would not in any other way take a foothold in you unless you had a cut, right? And so your job is to clean off the bacteria, and that would be almost like deliverance or prayer or confession. And then once that bacteria, when those bacteria are gone, then you can heal. And so healing uh, is necessary because the demon's attached to a spiritual wound. So you often see people who are really wounded by their parents or abused or whatever, they turn to Satanism as a response to this you know, sense of powerlessness. And so they invite demons in. So wounds, healing, trauma are often associated with mm. demonic infestation one way or another, and healing has to come with that as well. When there, this relationship with uh, the evil one does start to, uh, to take place, uh, the, the terms that... Uh, the church and the exorcism exorcists use are obsession and oppression. Mm-hmm. Uh, obsession is a uh, uh, described as kind of a, a especially a, a affecting the mental capacity, where one would hear, say, uh, voices or you know have you know uh, thoughts or something like that that are that are especially evil that, that are more than simply temptations. Uh, oppression is more physical, um, described as you know food tastes putrid or there's you kind know, of there's a constant uh, odor or something that's in in one's nose or something so these two things are, have been developed to describe this kind of the stage of of uh, relationship with the devil or the evil one and then when there's kind of a full I guess invitation which is called a possession then is one where uh, one is and this father would be a, would say too that this doesn't, just like your relationship with God requires you to engage your will, you have to choose it. It's the same thing here. That's the people, I think, generally don't find themselves possessed against their will. And it's through the action of the will, there's been a- That's a, comforting for me. It's a relationship <laughs> that's, uh, that's been, been cultivated, mm-hmm. right? And so now uh, one could be possessed. In the, uh, in, actually, in the introduction to the rite of exorcism, uh, it lists uh, these four kind of criteria that, four signs, not criteria, but four signs that would uh, signify uh, possession. One is uh, knowledge of languages that, um, you know, you would know more than just, you know, a few phrases in another, in another language. You would be conversant in another language you have absolutely no business uh, knowing mm-hmm. at all. And so this is one of the things the exorcist uh, would see. A second is... Uh, there would be secret knowledge of you, is that the person who was possessed would be able to tell you things about yourself that he or she should not know. You, you are not available through Google or Facebook or anything like that. Secret knowledge, trying to humiliate and to bring you down. Uh, extraordinary strength, so that a person's uh, build or age or something like that has a power or strength that is uh, uh, not uh, naturally explainable. And you do hear these stories of 90-year-old ladies. It takes like four strong men to hold them mm-hmm. down, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And then uh, uh, another uh, sign is an aversion to sacred things, like the cross or holy water, the name of Jesus. The, the, uh, Father Grob would say, and, and as you look through the history, the, the principal formula for exorcism is... The name of Jesus, 
And he, he says, you know, in this fourth council of Carthage where they started to ordain exorcists, uh, and even, you know, the, the right and extraordinary form talks about the book being, the book of exorcisms being handed over to the, to the exorcist. He said, boy, I wonder what that book would look like if, if you had it from 398. <laughs> you open it up and it would just say Jesus, Jesus because that's, that's the power. He's the author uh, of, of all things. He would also say, too, uh, he, he said that um, it's the prologue that is a constant text throughout the centuries that would be used or read in the rite of exorcism. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. That seems to be a very effective um, yes. text. Okay, so there's, uh, I think, all the, well, it's not all of them, but there's many of the preliminary um, things to consider before we start to look at the rite. All right. You know, last week we were talking about Latin versus English, and uh, we had an exorcist come and give a talk here once years ago. And uh, he said that he would sometimes diagnose as this mental illness or as this um, real sort of possession. He said he read Thomas Aquinas in Latin just to see if the, how the person would respond. Because if they thought it was the rite of exorcism, they'd writhe and, you know, and like act demonic, right? So he, and if they said in Latin and the, de- the quote-unquote devil starts, you know, said, if they read Thomas Aquinas in Latin and the devil goes berserk, then it's a sign that it's probably not real because mm. they're not using the rite of exorcism. And so that was one of the ways to test. I thought that was interesting. Oh, that is, that's clever. One, it reminds me of another point that Father uh, Grob is very clear to make all the time. The devil is a legalist. He knows what uh, is in bounds and what's out of bounds. And so he'll, he'll make this point. This is codified. Now, you'll see this uh, now, I think, with the 1917 code, but certainly in the 1983 code, that uh, only a priest with the permission of the bishop is the minister of exorcism. And that if you don't have the permission of the bishop, you are endangering yourself and you are endangering the person, the, everybody else involved. And the devil knows this. He knows what the law is and he knows when you're stepping outside of the law. So uh, Father Grob and others would go to great pains to say, listen, this is not just something you just pick up and decide, hey, I'm a priest or not a priest, whatever, and I'm gonna start to use this because the law says that you do this with the permission and authorization of the bishop. So, anyway. Of your own diocese. Uh, yeah. yeah. You can't go to another diocese, and even if you're a trained exorcist. But authority is, is really important to this because it's with authority that Christ right. uh, gives the apostles to do certain things in his name. The local ord... I think that's right. I'm sorry. Stop listening. <laughs> No, this is is what the code says. Uh, No one can perform exorcisms legitimately upon the possessed unless he has obtained special and express permission from the local ordinary. Mm-hmm. In the second part of that code, 1170, or that canon, it's 1172. The local ordinary is to give his permission only to a uh, sacerdos, a priest, um, who has piety, prudence, integrity of life, and knowledge. Right? So we mentioned that before, too, that, that there's a lot of processing that uh, the exorcist would have to do. Okay. All right, so this is what, uh, I'm just going to give you a general outline of what uh, the rite uh, looks like. This is the rite that was promulgated uh, in English uh, just recently. So the first part, it says, uh, before he begins the rite of exorcism, the priest exorcist should suitably dispose himself, saying this prayer or other prayers quietly. Lord Jesus Christ, word of the Father and God of all creation, you gave authority over your apostles to subject demons, and it goes on. Um, but other appropriate ways to um, dispose himself would be uh, 
Mass, the Eucharist, the sacraments, um, I, I'm led to believe that it's usually not simply the exorcist and the possessed, but a team. You mm -hmm. mentioned this, I think, in the podcast, Dennis. Uh, there's a team of people that, uh, that are there to pray and to intercede and to help and to support, and that the whole team prepares itself properly through spiritual means. Right. I have a, an exorcist friend who has a team of, I think they're mostly women who are spiritually gifted, and when they pray, they get revelations from God about whatever. So he says to them, next week, I'm going to go do an exorcism on person X with this first name, and they have to go, and uh, they ask the Father. And then if eight of them get the same demon as the primary possessed, then he knows where to go. If six of them get it, then he says, oh, that's probably where it is. So he might not have a gift of determining the name of the investing spirit, but there are people who, who can help him with that, and then they support that prayer with that sort of prophetic gift that they have. Okay. Uh, then after the, the team is uh, disposed, then they, they gather, and I think... Uh, Again, I'm led to believe that most of the time this is in a church or in a chapel. It doesn't have to be there, but I think most of the time it is. Um, and so the possessed person would you know, be at the chapel and everybody would come to the chapel. The priest exorcist, I think, a vest in an alb and a purple stole or also casting a surplus with a purple stole and goes into the chapel. Begins with a sign of the cross and a greeting and then he prepares those present uh, for the celebration. The first thing that happens... Why is that called a celebration? Well, yeah, that's a... Uh, yeah, maybe that's... Celebration of the right, or... Yeah, I, wait, I mean, you celebrate a funeral, too. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that, that's what it means, but okay. yeah, it's not necessarily... Um, I don't know. Hopefully it is a joyous occasion, Sorry, right? I didn't want to go no, ahead. No, that's a great question. That's a great question. Uh, the first thing that uh, is possible is the blessing of water. Okay, so the priest would uh, bless water if it hasn't been done already, and afterwards may um, use, uh, add salt to the water. So he would, uh, 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 we humbly pray, Almighty God, be pleased, and you're faithful to bless this salt, and then he pours the salt in to the water. And then the exorcist would take the water and sprinkle it on those present, especially the afflicted one. And all would say, uh, Amen. All right. Any questions so far? No, keep going. Okay. After that is a litany of saints. So uh, the exorcist would have this introductory line. Brothers and sisters, let us humbly implore the mercy of Almighty God uh, for the afflicted. And there's a litany, but it's a little bit different from the litany that uh, you might be used to hearing. I would say, Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for him. Saints Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael, pray for him. All holy angels of God, pray for him. They go through all of the, uh, the saints, but it's all these, pray for him, pray for him, or deliver him, deliver him, deliver us. Lord, we ask you to hear our prayer. And then it concludes with, uh, with, a, um, with another prayer. And those are, in, in a certain way, the introductory rites. Sign of the cross, greeting, blessing, sprinkling with holy water, and the litany. After that is a liturgy of the word where some of the psalms are sung and a reading from the Holy Gospel. You want to guess which one it is? Oh, man. Driving the evil spirits in into the, the pigs, into yeah. the Sea of Galilee. Yeah, that would be a good one. I think there's a number of uh, options, but the one they give, at least in the order, is the prologue. Oh, right. Before. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. All right, after that, there's a laying on of the hands. Uh, exorcist lays hands upon uh, the possessed or the afflicted one, and there's a, there's a series of invocations. Let your mercy be upon us, Lord, as we place our trust in you, Lord, have mercy. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, Lord, have mercy, and others like that. Then there is a, uh, a profession of faith or the renewal of promises. Do you renounce Satan and all his works and all his empty show? 
do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? So what, is, what does some of this start to sound like? Baptism. Baptism. It is. And I think what the thinking was, and one of the notable differences between the extraordinary form rite of exorcism and this rite of exorcism is it's based on the model of the catechumenate, the ancient cat. It's kind of like, these are my words here, kind of almost like hitting control, alt, delete, and you're going back to where it all started. Oh, like resetting re- recovery mode. To, yeah, I got well, it. Yeah, I think maybe it is I think one like of that. the interesting things about this is people are often attached to their demons. You think, oh, they want to get rid of them. But sometimes they've, they've made these deals for a reason. So they're afraid and they want protection. And so it used to be the model was the priest is driving it out like he's pointing a gun and saying, get out of here. But I think there's a new understanding, too, that people need to let go. I say, you can go. I re- no longer need you. Get out of here. So preparing the person to be strong, I think, is part of the new, hmm. okay. new understanding. There's uh, the Lord's Prayer, and then uh, the exorcist shows uh, uh, or blesses uh, the the afflicted, the possessed one with the sign with with a cross. So shows a cross and blesses him with it. Behold the cross the cross of a the Lord. A cross or a crucifix? Does it? Sorry. It says cross. Okay. By the sign of the cross, may our God deliver you from the enemy, for example, is one of the, the prayers that can be said. And then there's this uh, exsulfation, this breathing upon. Uh, the exorcist breathes out toward the face of the afflicted member, and he says, by the breath of your mouth, O Lord, drive out all evil spirits, command them to be gone, uh, etc." And then there's the, the main formulas of exorcism. These are very long prayers, and there's two types of prayers. One is called a depre- de- deprecative prayer, formula, and this is addressed to God, and the other one is called an imperative, or I think sometimes imprecative formula, and this is addressed to uh, the devil, and the one addressed to God is, I guess, mandatory. The one addressed, the uh, imperative addressed to the demon is optional, but what isn't optional, if you're going to use the one, the instructions say, directed towards the demon, you only do it after you have implored the help of God. Oh, do nice. Do speak to God first. Makes sense. Yeah, well, I think so. The um, yeah, the, again, these are a little bit different too from the the uh, extraordinary for extraordinary form prayers of exorcism, where the if you can find them, like in the Father Weller collection, it's the priest talking directly to the, to the evil one or to one of the demons, and very uh, 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 I say very powerful and very strong language and calling him names and things and commanding. Uh, this is more. Uh, supplication to God and by his, uh, by his power uh, to cast out uh, the evil one. So the prayers are, are a little bit different uh, from, uh, from both. Then there's a, a thanksgiving, and there's two forms that are given in the book. One is the Magnificat, and the other is the Benedictus. Mm-hmm. Those are the prayers of thanksgiving. Then there's a concluding rites uh, that would sound very much like a uh, blessing that we would... Um, here at the end of, uh, of any celebration. But one thing that's, uh, I don't know, I think noteworthy, it says, uh, if the exorcism is to be repeated, then you go back and do it again. So you don't just, you don't just wrap it up. Uh, it can take hours. You go through it once, and it's what I've heard from exorcists, and you go back and you do it again. This time, maybe you add in different psalms, different prayers. Mm-hmm. Father Grob suggested in his interview that people are at note, are, are keeping, they're alert to the fact that when this saint was invoked in the litany, there was a certain reaction or response. Ah, and they note that, and they go back, and they're going to press on that, and they're going to press on that, they're going to press on that. Or I think Father Grob suggested that you get done with this right, and then you go back, and you're going to do it in Latin. 
Mm-hmm. You get done with this, you're going to go back and do it right away in the extraordinary form. So this time you're going to add in these psalms. This time you're going to replace this reading and the rest. And so it's not a, uh, I mean, we, what, we took five minutes or ten minutes just to, to flip through it. Um, this can be a very lengthy uh, type of a session, you know, looking for what is going to be the most helpful for and the From person. what I understand, this is a very demanding position on a priest. Because you're constantly dealing with people who think they're possessed when they aren't, or mentally ill people are calling you. And this is why exorcists tend to keep their identity secret, not because it's a secret per se, but they just, they need to be called in when there's a clear case of possession or when there's something credible. Otherwise, you'd be just hounded day and night by all kinds of people who think they need you. And with this, with this rite of exorcism, it can be done multiple times in one instance, but does it also take multiple times over the span of months or it ta- something like yeah, that. Yeah, it takes as long as it takes um, to be done. And I think, I, I'm guessing here, I thought maybe in one of the forms, there's a certain sign that is supposed to be given when the, the spirit or the, the evil spirit has departed. And I think in one of the older forms, it asks for that sign. You keep doing it until you get that sign. Mm. I don't know if it's that explicit now in the, uh, uh, in the new rite. But yeah, it, it takes as many times as it takes for it to, uh, to, for the person to be free. But at the end of the day, this is not something to be played around with, right? Even regular old prayers of deliverance and that you can do for yourself are not to be played around with. You know, always in the will of God, always according to the will of God, always with prudence and care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, we don't know anything about exorcism, really, other than what we've been talking about. So mm-hmm. people might say, oh, can, can you help me? <laughs> we can't answer those questions. But every diocese should have someone who is the touch person for this, if you think there's a real case of... You know, and along those same lines, the, the, the first person that should be approached, you know, if somebody has concerns, it's the parish priest. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, the, it's the priest's job to help in the general spiritual care of his people. That's where, that's where it all happens. And, um, you know, only the, the priest would direct anybody uh, in any way that, that uh, he or she would need to be, to be helped. But that would be the first uh, point of contact is your parish priest. But what's at the end of the day? The love of God, right? The mercy of God. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be freed. He wants us to be freed from our own mistakes even and to be united with him so that we can be sanctified and mm-hmm. he can be glorified. That's the end of any liturgical or sacramental thing of the church is his glorification and our sanctification. Let me just end with this. There is, uh, maybe you've seen this, in the appendix to this book, there is what they call supplications uh, which may be used by the faithful privately in the struggle against the power of darkness. And this has been published uh, as an independent booklet by the USCCB. So anybody can go, you can't buy the Rite of Exorcism, but you right. can buy this, these texts from the appendix. Maybe, can we just end with one of those prayers? Absolutely. Okay. Have mercy, Lord God, on me, your servant, who have become like a vessel that is lost because of the host that besieges me. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies and draw near to me so that that you may seek what is lost, restore to yourself what is found, and not abandon what is restored, so that in all things I may be pleasing to you, by whom I know I have been powerfully redeemed through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Now, let's answer a question. Yes. No joking around this time. Just, <laughs> just answer a question. Who jokes around on this podcast? None of us. Exactly. That's what I thought. So you guys know that we love the Liturgical Institute and we love everything that we do here. But you know who else loves the Liturgical Institute? Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron. And guess what he has to say about it? Well, I've known the Liturgical Institute from the very beginning. I was at Mundelein on the faculty in 2000 when it started. I knew Monsignor Mannion very well, who was the founder. 
uh, Dr. McNamara, who was with him from the beginning. I've known, we've become good friends. I've spoken many times there. I've known all the faculty members. I've known many of the students. So I, I know from the ground up what the, um, the LI does. And they introduce people into the beauty of the church's intellectual tradition and liturgical tradition. And um, I don't know in the country a better place to go to get immersed precisely in that aesthetic dimension and the intellectual than the LI. So, you know, I'm a big fan. Mail call! Mail call! Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? All right, we got a question from Annie. Annie. The sun will come out tomorrow. Showing your age, Jeff. The question will be asked right now. Well, you saw the remake, didn't you? No, I didn't actually. What's the question? Uh, the question from Annie is, what are the differences between the way the clergy pray the liturgy of the hours and the way lay people should pray the liturgy of the hours, particularly during the inter- intercessions? Also, why do some religious orders skip the psalms, the psalm prayers at the end of the psalms? Hmm. My you first start. thought Go. is there should be no difference between the way clergy and laity pray the liturgy of the hours, except for the part at the end that says if a priest is present or deacon, or if there's no priest or deacon present. Obviously, a layperson can't give the blessing at the end, and they have the, the little ending proper to lay people. But for the most part, it should be exactamundo el samo. Agreed. Yeah, with the intercessions, there's two different ways to pray the intercessions, but clergy can pray them both of those ways, and laity can pray them both of those ways. What are those different ways? Well, so you, there's the, the leader gives a little introduction, and then, like in your breviary in italics, there's a little line that can serve as, as a, a response, response that you can say after each set. But then when you get into the, to the petitions themselves, they're divided up into two parts. And so you can either have the leader say one part, and the people say the second part, or the leader can say both parts, and then you would say the response. But again, that's a legitimate option for whether clergy are doing it or laity are doing it. Right, and if you're singing it, too, sometimes it's hard to sing a long line uh, together, uh-huh. like the second half of the intercession so to just go back to the refrain every time is a little easier to no. sing so it's a legitimate option no. and then the uh, the psalm prayers those are optional so again clergy can either use them or not laity can either use them or not they're optional for right. both groups so these are these little if people don't know what we're talking about after each um, psalm there's a, a, a paragraph long prayer they're quite long actually and they're not in the Latin typical edition as far as I know they're just in the English edition yeah, nor apparently will they be in the, in the next version. version right yeah. so somewhere along the line somebody thought that the prayer of the church needed another prayer to make it more effective and most people found that it really didn't so yeah, well, what, they're trying, on prayers. what they're trying to do is give a Christian interpretation on the Old Testament psalm they're trying to recast it in a, in a Christian light so it's not required and I say, I would say most, in my experience, most people uh, take the option not to say them, but you can. Yep. All right, Annie, I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or do a little tweety tweet. You could tweet us at liturgyguys or you can tweet Dennis, but at he won't respond. D Macadie. But don't do that. Seriously, he doesn't even check it. So thank you and God bless. Is that like email? What? Hey, I'm trying to do the close. You don't know what email is? I called Jesse the other day, and he was mm-hmm. mad because I called him, and I didn't text him. I wow. said, did you listen to my voicemail? No, 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 no
<laughs> I got bad because you expected me to listen to your voicemail. I don't have time to listen to voicemails. Voicemails take forever to I'll listen just, to. I'll just call you back. Who listens to It wasn't about texting anyway. at all. Yeah. What okay, can you uh, turn the off button there, please? The Liturgy Guys is produced by the Liturgical Institute. If you like what you've heard today, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And be sure to check out liturgicalinstitute.org to discover more about our degree programs, public events, and publications. Refresh your soul and renew the church at what Bishop Robert Barron calls one of the very best places in the country to receive formation in the Catholic liturgical tradition. Now that's a podcast.